I'm Richard Dodd, and you're listening to the Ecology Academy podcast. This is a show where we get to talk and learn about all things ecological, including interviews with top ecologists, both employers and employees, those working with ecologists, and also aspiring and inspiring career-seeking individuals setting out to make a difference. The show aims to provide you with insights, advice, and inspiration to help you succeed and excel as an effective ecologist and to make a real difference to our natural environment. Hi there, and this is a special podcast we recorded back in July 2022. It was an interview we conducted with students at Nottingham Trent University as part of us delivering their career accelerator. And this was a six-week course we delivered to Nottingham Trent University students at the Brackenhurst campus up in Nottingham itself, just outside Nottingham itself. And this course was for 20 plus students. They were second year students at the university, maybe going into their final year or, or certainly going into a professional training placement year at Nottingham Trent University. The course itself covered many different aspects. And one of those aspects we covered was in week six, the final week, which is to do with career guidance. We brought in uh, an expert in that area, which was Tilly Tilbrook from Integrated Ecological Solutions Limited. Now, Tilly is fantastic. She gave so much of her time during the discussion session, and I've condensed that down into this podcast itself. So there's bits we've cut out, so a little bit edited there, so you get the best of what Tilly actually brought to that session itself. And I say we delivered this to uh, 20 plus students at Nottingham Trent University. So what we talk about during this podcast is the job advert itself, looking at that from the criteria put out by the recruiter. We also looked at the cover letter, what that form and that should look like itself and how you should email that in, what you should put in, what you'd leave out. We looked at the CV about quantifying experience and we'll talk about that during the session too. And watch out for some of um, Tilly's extremely um, insightful aspects to the CV and putting that together. We looked at the interview session or, um, and what that would comprise of, what to expect and also what not to expect in terms of interrogation. Uh, so that was a really great insight and also bringing a body of work into the interview itself. Looking about also, don't fully talk about it within this podcast itself, but right at the end, stay tuned right to the end where we will talk about how to get those skills. If you are lacking some of those skills within your CV for this year and you get some rejection from maybe a recruiter, maybe it's a bit of feedback, and saying about getting those different skills and you want to know about how to get those skills um, without spending too much time or too much money, well, we'll give you some, uh, into, uh, well, some tips right at the end of this podcast itself. And then, of course, then, you know, I just wanted to really say a big thank you to Tilly for her time going on for, it was over an hour's worth of um, Tilly's time putting into this podcast itself and the uh, discussion session to Nottingham Trent University. And it's something we're going to be repeating throughout the next couple of years. So if you're at university, if you are actually a university course um, supervisor, for instance, and would benefit from maybe a six week or a bespoke course, please do get in touch. For now, let's get on with the recording. Over the past six weeks, we've looked at uh, the role of an ecological consultant and the ecological consultancies. Um, we're looking at planning legislation, QGIS, we've done preliminary ecological appraisal, roost assessments, protected species surveys, all needs to be practical at uh, the wonderful Nottingham Trent University campus, Brackenhurst. Um, we've, and, then we, and this week, we've also undertaken career guidance. I, I think it'd be great to um, introduce yourself to, to, to our, our wonderful students, and um, then we, we can have a probably discussion about how we do, you know, differences between ourselves in terms of recruitment, if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so hi, everyone. I'm Tilly. Um, I have been an ecological consultant now for, well, I've worked in ecology for coming up 20 years now, probably slightly longer. Um, I started my own consultancy uh, back in 2009, and uh, it's been running ever since. We've currently got two assistant ecologists, and then myself and my business partner as directors in the company. I've also worked a lot of other places too, though. My first job after doing my master's was actually for Northampton County Council. Um, I was their biodiversity, um, I was their biodiversity action plan officer, which was a great first job, except I turned up and they went, 
yeah so we don't actually have a county ecologist so here are the planning lists and I'd never seen a planning list in my life I didn't even know what a planning list was um so I had some wonderful colleagues at the wildlife trust who I rang them because nobody else knew anything either because nobody else was an ecologist and and said you know what do I do with these um and they brilliantly took me under their wing and made sure that I did not uh, have a complete disaster in my first job um, and from there, I moved to consultancy work. I've worked for small consultancies. I've worked for big multinational consultancies. I worked for WSP for about two and a half years, who are a big multinational. And then I've also worked for Natural England. Um, and I worked for Natural England, setting up their nature improvement areas, uh, which were big landscape scale ecology projects, um, which I think the funding for that's now finished. But that was um, stakeholder engagement that I was doing with them. And so now in my role running IES Consulting, which is a small consultancy just south of Bristol, I'm quite heavily involved in the recruiting of new staff. And we have recently gone through the process of one of our assistant ecologists leaving and a new member of staff coming on board. So I've got some sort of recent firsthand experience of what really makes people stand out um, during recruitment and what um, what things you can do to bolster your CV that do not involve you spending vast amounts of money um, and that can, in some cases, be paid. Um, so, so that's sort of what I've come to talk to you about, really. We've just had a conversation about um, that some people, have, their experiences are that um, the recruitment process, sometimes they they may ask for a CV and, um, you know, a, a traditional CV and a, and a cover letter, whereas others are using, I suppose, like a filter system, you know, so whether it be an application form, but prior to the application form, it's actually a list of maybe three to five questions saying, have you got this? Have you got, you know, um, so forth, you know, like a driving license. And then if you don't pass that filter, you're not allowed to apply for the job. Um, now, I'm, I'm sure those are in certain consultancies, but could you run through how your recruitment process, Tilly? So uh, how do you go about um, recruiting um, candidates? Yeah, so when we're recruiting at entry level, what we really what we do is we put an advert out with our wish list on it. Now, our wish list is very much aspirational. And, and I think that's true of all job adverts. You know, if that unicorn person comes along who has got everything on that list and we like them, because that's really important in a small company, is that everyone has to get along. It's a small office. We spend a lot of time together, often at two in the morning. You know, we don't want to be dealing with people that we, um, you know, find that they are abrasive. It, it's aspirational for us. So we put together this wish list and then what we ask for is a cover letter and a CV. Um, we used to have the filter of, do you have a driving license? We had to we had to drop that this year. That was something that we would normally have said, you know, if someone doesn't have a driving license, then I'm really sorry, we're not even going to interview them because of the number of applicants that do have it. COVID has destroyed that for us and we have totally backpedaled on it. And in fact, our new assistant ecologist who started today, um, she does not have her driving license because so many students could not um, get lessons, obviously, during COVID. And now the backlog for tests is so huge. I think consultancies are doing themselves a huge disservice if they're filtering people out on that basis. Um, what we've actually said this time around is, OK, um, we'll see how we're doing with it you know assistants are not going out on their own anyway so it doesn't really matter because they'll be going out with somebody else anyway and also can we put some of the cpd budget that's continuous professional development so the money we've got set aside to pay for court training courses could we put that towards an intensive driving course you know if it if that's is that a way to solve the problem for us um because you know, it's a nice idea having someone turn up with a driving license, but the reality is at the moment students don't have driving licenses and they cannot, um, they can't get tests, you know, so you're filtering out good candidates for no reason, I think, at, the, at that point. That said, if it's what you want to get into is consultancy, you will need your driving license. There's no way around it. So if that's going to be problematic, you need to be looking at more desk based jobs. And I appreciate that's pretty ableist um, it's saying that, you, you know, you've got to have a driving license. But what we do is field work on remote sites and it is not feasible to always send you with somebody else in the car in a car share. We car share where we can, but it's not feasible. So that's that's how we set it up. And what we're looking for in the cover letter it was really interesting for me because I had a real range of cover letters as to what was some really amazing ones from students and some that were just like, hi, please find attached to my CV. 
<laughs> and, and that doesn't really cut it for me. Um, so uh, the other thing to note is we ask for a cover letter. What we really mean is a cover email. You do not have to write it in Word and then turn it into a PDF and attach it to an email. That's clearly a pointless step from my point of view. I don't care how it comes to me. There were sort of three things that really worked for us in a cover letter if we start there, which was there were some people who personalised it really well. And what I mean by that is that they'd gone away and they'd looked at our website and then they'd looked at my sort of profile on LinkedIn. They'd done a bit of digging and seen that I'd written some article, an article for CIEM about um, freelance ecologists and early career ecologists and ethics of employment. They'd personalise their cover letter to say why they wanted to work for my company or me specifically, rather than just generically I need money, you need staff. <laughs> um, and, and that, you know, it, it's not unreasonable that that is your stance. But the reality is, if someone says, I really want to work for you because actually I've read this and I've had this experience and, and what I think it, that you can do for me is Im improve my career or train me up properly, that's going to get my attention. The other thing that people do with varying degrees of success is drawing out their accomplishments. So your CV is a list of stuff that you've done, okay? But your cover letter is a point at which you can really show me how how you've done stuff and, and what makes you good at it. And so one thing someone did was that they, in their cover letter, they wrote, I've done 500 hours of bat surveys. And I was like, well, that's brilliant because that's a numerical figure. Because if you tell me you've done one season of bat surveys, I don't know if you've been to three city centre sites and never seen a bat or whether you've been out four times a week from May to September. So it doesn't really tell me enough. But in their cover letter, they went, well, I've done 500 hours of bat surveys and I've analysed 700 hours of calls. I was like, great. I know exactly how experienced you are. I know how much training I'm going to have to put in. You know, this for me is fantastic because you're taking out a lot of the effort that I have to make to try and interpret what you've done. Um, so anything you can do like that is, is really, really helpful. And then the other thing that is it's really hard for graduates, I think, because it's really tempting to, and you get, get given a lot of careers advice, I think, that says, you know, tell people what asset you're going to be to their business. Now, the reality is, if you're coming out of university, you are going to need training. I know you're going to need training. You know you're going to need training. So I don't really, it doesn't work for me if you say that you're going to be an asset to my business, because the reality is for the first six months, yes, you're going to do some great work for me. I have no doubt about it, but you're not, you know, I'm going to have to invest a lot from my end as well. What I really want to know is how have you used your initiative? How have you solved a problem? How have you come up against something difficult? What was the outcome? How have you gone away and looked at how to improve your CV and, you know, what, courses have you found but you know what have you done outside of university to try and bolster your cv and to enhance your sort of your experience what courses have you found that you'd really like to do but you can't afford at the moment you know what sort of research have you done around that area of things what is it about consultancy that appeals to you that's the sort of stuff I want to know for entry level people because what it does is it gives me a really good idea of how I can train you and and what base we're starting from and sometimes the answer is I haven't been able to do anything and I get that and that's absolutely fine but what I want to know is you know not a sort of why you haven't been able to do that everyone's personal circumstances are different but what have you looked at that you would have loved to have done if there'd been time so so those are the things that I kind of think are really important in a cover letter. I don't know what you think, Richard. I don't know what you're looking for with that. They're great points, actually. It just reinforces about, um, you know, tailoring it to the company you are applying for. Because as as, uh, as Teddy's rightly mentioned, that uh, flattery will get you somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, it, I'm afraid it, it does okay, a little bit of ego massaging really does work. Not that I'm egotistical and definitely not Tilly isn't either. But, you know, it, it doesn't harm you to say, well, uh, first of all, you know, I'm, I'm sure it will come from truth that, you know, you have done your research and you do like this company because, the, you know, the, you represent, you know, the, the, the values and so forth are aligned with your own. I really also like, um, you know, uh, about the experience as well. So quantifying your experience. And I think that's something, you know, we don't want a, a list, a bullet list within a, a cover letter. Um, it is, okay, well, yeah, yeah. As, as, as Tilly was mentioning, you know, X amount of hours of bat surveys and, you know, um, you know, I produced a, you know, three reports, um, and and here they are, or here's a reference, or here's a link to my reports, or something like that. Don't be afraid to say what you want.
you know i want training I, you know i'm very you know i I'm, I'm i'm trainable that's what we're looking for you know trainable amenable something that we can you know someone who we can get along with uh, and again yeah cover letters cvs i'm afraid they you know they will be biased i mean, I mean, we, I mean we're trying to get away from being biased but um it's difficult not to be, you know, especially when you say we, we want to we work with people we want to work with. And in terms of, I mean, in terms of your, okay, so the cover letter and then what about the CVs? What are you looking for in a CV? Um, so on the CV, what I'm looking for really on a CV is not a list of sort of places you've worked, tasks you've undertaken. What I'm looking for is an explanation of what value you added to those things basically so I want your CV to be a little bit more than just you know I, I worked here and I did this it could be say and, and I appreciate you know it might not be ecology uh, related but you know say you've worked in a retail job and you're saying okay well I I worked this retail job and I improved this process by doing this and it resulted in that um, and and that was why it was beneficial for the company. Um, it doesn't need to be long, but it it would be, it would just be something that would explain a little bit more than just you know I, I you know I was front of house for you know this particular shop or you know for a, a cinema or whatever. I want to know you know did you see a process that didn't work and you gave an idea of how to improve it or did you. Um, step in when there was an issue at work and and you know the team needed somebody to step in at the last minute was there a problem that you solved at work and what was the result of that problem solving you know what what changed as a result of that what improved for the company as a result of that because I think it's really it's really important to understand that ecology is not something that you can learn a set of rules and then you can go and do ecology. It's really dynamic and there's an awful lot of problem solving involved in it. And there's an awful lot of decision making on the fly in quite sometimes quite high pressure situations. And you won't be straight into that as graduates. But I need to know that you've kind of got an idea that you could, you know, that we can train you to do that. And that, you know, the difference between I need to phone my boss right now and I cannot continue with this unless I get an answer. And do you know what? I think this will probably be okay. I'm just going to make this decision and do it. And I don't think anything terrible will happen. And, and if you can communicate that through your CV by saying, you know, I was in, I you know, I worked for three years at a, in a cafe. And, you know, um, one of the things I did was there was an issue with, you know, food safety. And I took the decision to close it, even though I couldn't get hold of my boss. And the result was this. And it meant, you know, the food inspectors didn't close us down. That is way more useful to me than I served in a cafe for three years. No, that, that's, that's great. I mean, I, I think, as you say, it's that list. Um, we always see a list of um, I'm I'm flexible, adaptable, um, reliant, um, supportive, um, passionate. You know, I think that's what, yeah, demonstrate it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's uh, you put the words down so you know you can do it. Now, now give me an example of that. Yeah, yeah brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I think you have to remember that employers are looking at this and they don't know you. They've never met you. They're looking at it blind. So anything that you can do to really sort of demonstrate exactly why you have that experience you know what what is it about you that makes you flexible and how have you shown that in work or university situations in the past so that I can you know anyone can say they're flexible the reality is not everybody is flexible that's fine but if I'm recruiting for a job that requires flexibility then I need to sort of understand how you are and and what it will do is it will just make you more likely to get invited to interview if you've demonstrated it rather than just said you are it because I can promise you there's no one out there that's sending a CV in that says they're not flexible <laughs> you know everyone's saying it so what you, what you're looking for is the edge to make you go from okay this person seems fine to yes we must interview this person do you mind if it's like one page two page ten pages is, is I don't it... want your CV to be more than two pages my CV isn't more than two pages and I've got 20 years of work experience there isn't a reason to have it more than two pages long especially early in your career it's it's a real skill getting a, a cv down to that length you know there are bits of my early jobs that are nowhere near my cv anymore because they're totally irrelevant i don't need to know which gcses you took you've got you're about to do a degree it's irrelevant so you, you've saved yourself a load of space there really it's about tailoring it to the job so 
it's about sort of saying, okay, well, maybe I did work here for three years, but actually this other job is more sort of useful. So at the moment, you'd want to put that job on, but you maybe wouldn't draw as much out of it if it's not particularly relevant or didn't have particularly relevant skills. For example, there are, you know, nobody nobody cares that I worked 20 years ago in Northamptonshire County Council. Like, you know, it, it's not, it, to me, that, that job goes down as a bit of a footnote now when I put CVs out there. There are bits of it I draw out that say that, I, you know, I really know the planning system inside out from that job. The reality is, you know, do I have relevant recent experience as a planning ecologist in the, on that side of things? No, I don't, because it was 20 years ago and things have changed. What I have is an understanding of how the system works. <laughs> um, and that's the things to draw out. So, um, yeah, I don't I don't want more than two pages. I'm not I'm not going to read it. We know, you know, you may have done like 15, 20 jobs then, um, you know, as a, you know, a barista, or a, a cafe and so forth. You know, you, you probably advise not to put down that, just a list of jobs you completed, but just focus upon just a couple. And does it have to be chronological, do you think? Do you, do you, can you miss out that newsagent job when actually you just, you didn't do anything out, out of the, the ordinary, it was just for a week? Yeah, so I think anything really short term, you can, you know, if you started a job and you realised that the boss was completely bananas and that you didn't want to work there anymore, which is has happened to, you know, a lot of people, um, leave it off. Nobody cares if you were there for a week. It, it doesn't affect you at all. I think as well, if you're coming out of university, no one's expecting you to have a complete career history. You will find jobs where they're like list, you know, list every single bit of employment that you've ever had. I mean, I would suggest that, you know, for me, fine, but I'm not I'm not listing the Saturday job that I had at the vets when I was 12 still. You know, it's not relevant to my work now. So even if someone asked me for a complete work history, I wouldn't be listing that. I think what you can do is let's say you had a number of different retail jobs um, over a two, three year period or whatever, I would potentially, if you're running out of space, I would look at grouping those. So I would do it in chronological order, but I would say, you know, from this year to this year, I worked a variety of retail jobs. And then I would use that to really pick out the experience that you think makes you employable in a consultancy or in a sort of business environment. So again, that's that's where it's, it's useful to kind of cherry pick it down and what I would say is that it's probably something I used to do is I would have a master CV that was really long and it had everything absolutely everything on it um, and it was pages and pages and pages long um, but what I then did was I would go through the job description and I would use that to copy and paste and then edit into the CV that went for that job and the same with the cover letter you know if you can sit down and put it all out on paper it's there then. And then what you do is tailor it to each the position that you're applying for. It's a pain. I'm not going to pretend it isn't a pain to do that, but you can lessen that pain by, you know, putting it, um, putting it all down on paper and then editing it down for each job. And in, and in terms of, so we've got two pages, you know, we've got to, you know, refining that list and making sure that you've got to, like a master CV um, so you can copy and paste. In terms of then hobbies and interests, so perhaps you haven't got that many skills, perhaps you haven't got that much of a career history. How important are hobbies and interests? So I think you can use hobbies and interests, especially if you've been involved in university clubs, if you've been on any committees or things like that. I think you can use that as relevant experience. Um, I think it's always good to have something that can be a talking point um, in an interview. So if you do anything a bit left field, I play roller derby put it on your CV people like to talk about that kind of stuff you know I've played and coached for 10 years now that's a lot of transferable skills in there to the workplace um so you know anything like that is is really worth putting in um I something I put down when I was an early career was that at university I was in the university mountaineering club um, and the reason I put it on my CV was that I could then use that as a way of sort of talking to people about how you know I don't mind being outdoors I'm used to being outdoors in bad weather I you know I'm quite able to cope with rough terrain all the sort of things that come up in ecology so that was why that went on on my CV if you do you know people sometimes do these conservation expeditions uh, again, 
it's not relevant experience in terms of you know working in the UK but what it you can use it for is to demonstrate your transferable skills finally on CVs well, well my final point anyway um, um, uh, referees and uh, references should you include them and also in what sort of format is it the whole you know all their details or available upon request I don't care personally <laughs> I don't care which you put down um, when you're once you've got a job and you're applying elsewhere I would put references available on request because I would suggest that it is not sensible to be telling your boss you are applying elsewhere until you have a job offer in your hand um, because you might just find you are pushed out earlier than you want to be if you're looking for work elsewhere you know just say there's going to be cuts to the business there might be a whole host of stuff going on behind the scenes I certainly wouldn't expect any staff of mine to tell me they're searching for a job unless what they're saying is look I need to relocate to this part of the country if you've got any contacts you can help me which I'd be you know more than happy to help with but if you're just looking to leave I would suggest you keep that very quiet and and even if you talk to other people at work about it I would choose who you do that with extremely carefully um, there are plenty of bosses who it won't make any difference to but if, especially if you're in a big company there are plenty who it would and then in terms of references I think available on request is absolutely fine I do think you know with graduates people are much less likely to check references because again you know you we're not we're not checking up on like work history or things like that we're not checking whether it's sort of true or not because really we're looking are you trainable um can we train you up to do the job it's as you go up the ladder that you will need those references um think outside the box as well so i have lots of professional contacts now and i would probably use them for references uh, sort of outside of the company that i'm in so you want someone who's your manager but if if you end up with a manager who is you've got a clash with for example find a co-worker that you get on really well with who is perhaps not in your team but is either a peer or slightly higher up the ladder with you and and ask them if they'll do it because you know the other thing you'll find is that an awful lot of places will give nothing out beyond they worked here from this date to that date i i love it when someone actually puts in a little bit more information but either you've advertised or you haven't advertised you've got a bunch of um, cvs um in your inbox Right. So how do you go about filtering through, you know, the yes, no's, maybe pile or, um, yeah, what's your process and um, how long does it take you? So our process was that we had a spreadsheet set up um, with yes, no, maybe on it. Now, anyone who didn't follow the application instructions went immediately into the no pile. That's not because I'm a stickler for rules. It's because the job you know, there will be times when I say to you, I need you to do this and I need you to do it in this order. And I don't have time to explain to you why I need you to do it like that. I just need it done that way. Likewise, if I'm sending you out to a construction site, I need to know that you're going to follow the instructions that you're given. It's a dangerous place. Um, you know, make no mistake. A lot of what we do brings you into close contact with big machinery. Um, so I need to know that if someone says you can't enter that area, you're not going to think, oh, but it would be much quicker if I could just walk across there. So that's not me being a pain and saying, you know, oh, you know, you could have overlooked that for the purposes of the application. I absolutely could have overlooked that. But what it tells me is you might not follow my instructions. So that's why that immediately goes into the no pile. Then I'm looking what we did then was we we filtered. And, and this is where there's nothing you can do about it, because we filtered against what was most important for the business. So there is not an awful lot you can do about that because you don't know that thought process that's going on. And it doesn't mean that you're not a good candidate. It doesn't mean that, you know, you couldn't do the job well. It just means that at this point in time, I'm looking for this one very specific thing, which is maybe not highlighted in the job application, because the other problem is as you go through it, you get a clearer idea as an employer as to exactly what you're looking for. So anyone who had written me a good cover letter, they kind of went into the yes pile and experience was what I was looking for. Experience outside of university. Now, I think this is really tough personally, because I think it's not unreasonable as an undergraduate to think I'm paying £9,000 a year for this. It should be enough. I'm really sorry it's not enough. <laughs> um, you're going to have to do things outside of university and part of the reason you're going to have to do it outside of university is because there are other people out there who will have done it outside of university who you will be up against when you apply for these graduate jobs. And the other re problem you've got is that 
these days, which wasn't really a thing when I started, there's an awful lot of people who do seasonal work. So they work, you know, they've graduated, they've got their degree and they work from March to October doing seasonal contracts. But most of them are looking, especially in early career stages, to turn that into a permanent job. So you are also coming up against people who've got that experience and they may have a couple of seasons of survey experience and they are also applying for those entry level permanent jobs. Um, so that was our first our first filter was, did you follow the instructions? Our second filter was, do you have any experience outside of um, university stuff? And then the third uh, sort of from there, we, we basically made a shortlist then of people to interview. And it was really on sort of how they came across. And again, that's not really something that you can train for. There was, you know, there's one person who'd obviously seen something somewhere that had said, oh, you know, you need to sort of make yourself really stand out. And you do, but not by following anything that might seem slightly gimmicky, because, you know, they were like, they'd kind of written it in the, I know you're really busy. And so these are the four points as to why you should employ me. And I'm like, okay, that just did not work particularly well for me. And that's the problem that you've got with that kind of thing is there are some people who will love that. Great. But there are as many people who won't. <laughs> um, so, you know, the people who really drew out their experience were the ones that we ended up inviting to interview. Yeah, I think I think some of those work maybe work for if you're going to marketing, perhaps if you're mm-hmm. going to like a, a you know, actually stand out for the right reasons uh, there. In terms of your fil- uh, your filter process, then so um, but how how long would it take you to find filter out a good CV from a bad CV? How long do you give reading a CV? Not very long. It's fair to say you've got. I know within probably the first couple of minutes of reading, whether I think somebody is which pile I think somebody's going in. What we did was myself and um, my business partner did it separately. So we filtered them and we made comments on why we thought people were good or you know not so good and where we would put them in the process. We had different opinions on that you know and that's absolutely fine um and we had a bit of wrangling and negotiation because there were only so many interview slots to fill um but what what i would say is you have you've got my attention for less than five minutes because i'm looking at it and i'm making a pretty snap decision on that and that probably feels really unfair when you've put hours into getting everything ready but i don't know about you richard i don't know if you take longer than we do but it's pretty fast. <laughs> well, let's put, let's put it this way. I, I think you're quite generous with five minutes. Yeah. I, I would say, um, I mean, and this is maybe, again, this may be to our detriment, but um, um, we can, I say we can spot a bad one. I think I can spot a bad CV uh, within less than a minute. Yeah, That's I would say fun. the same. So I think one of my pieces of advice is to put the good stuff at the top. So, so yeah so what's the next stage then so you know from from your cv going into so the interview stage if you yeah so then yeah we would invite you to interview at that stage we don't phone screen lots of people do phone screen um we don't phone screen um i don't know whether that's good or bad um i'm a bit more i'm more interested in getting you in and talking to you in person if i'm honest um that said, we had someone that we did interview recently who couldn't make it to the office because they would have relocated. So we pay, we pay your expenses to come to the interview. That's absolutely fine. We don't have a problem with that. But they were a long way away from the office. They were Newcastle. And they, you know, getting down here was for an you know, an hour's interview was just a bit ridiculous. And we live in the time of Zoom and Teams. So we did it over video. I would say if you can do it face to face it's better it's definitely better you get a better sense of the person you can put them at ease a bit more easily you don't have the worry of you know it issues all that kind of stuff i would also say there is not as far as i could tell so the people who did good cvs and cover letters generally interviewed well however we ended up going sort of down our list of people who were only on our maybe list and bringing some of those in for various reasons there's not a direct correlation between how well or between being on that maybe list and how well you interview, because some of those interviewed brilliantly. And that's where I think it's so important to get your cover letter and CV right, because actually, if they'd done that, we would have put them in the yes pile and they would have been in the first round of interviews. Um, so, you know, that it doesn't necessarily mean you're a bad candidate. It means that you've not got the skill yet to present yourself on your CV and covering letter. 
And those are two really separate skills because actually, um, you know, the, the interview process um, is really different. Uh, and, and often people come across much better in person than they do on paper. So what we do is we then invite you to interview. We'll send an email out saying we're inviting you to interview. Um, these are the days and times. Can you let me know if these work for you? We were pretty short notice on them, uh, but we said to people, if you can't do that, let us know. I don't think it's a problem to say to um, employers, look, I can't do those dates. Would any of these work? A lot of times people will put in the uh in the advert what days they're going to interview if they're putting that in the advert you need to be upfront if you can't make those days because often it involves getting a bunch of people together in a room and if you can't make those days it's a problem that said if you're a strong candidate it won't matter because I had one a few years ago when I interviewed at Natural England actually and I couldn't do one the interview day they had set because I was on holiday on a pre-booked holiday and they were fine they rearranged that to suit me but I did ultimately get offered the job. So I was a strong candidate on paper as well. If you were a maybe candidate and you can't make the date, I'm not necessarily going to rearrange for you. <laughs> so, so yeah, and then, then when you come into the interview, we tend to send out a lot of details to um, early career people because we appreciate that it's a new experience for you. Um, one thing that we always ask people is if you have a log of you know work or CPD, work towards licenses, anything like that, we ask you to bring it with you. It was very interesting to me that I had some undergraduates who bought, they'd clearly kept a log, they bought it in, they had photocopies of, CV, of certificates and things like that. They bought it all in, handed it over, they were very organised. I had someone who had three seasons of um, seasonal work who came in for the interview and said, I don't have a CPD log, I don't have a log of work towards licences. That was that was a pretty big strike against them, I'll be honest, because at that point I would really expect you to be keeping a log of that stuff. Um, but I would certainly recommend, even if it's just a spreadsheet, you won't remember it all. Um, so just keep a spreadsheet and then you can just print it off or you know email it to the um, interviewer and then they've got a really good idea that you're on top of what you've done because so many of the licenses and things we get require you to keep a log of experience so it's good to get into the habit um i think you're absolutely right i mean i think having you know we tend to favor people who bring in a portfolio of work you know and that could be just like a couple of sheets of a4 you know it's absolutely fine but um you know if you if you're bringing in a portfolio of work and so you know one of your for, for example you will be undertaking your primary ecological appraisal and writing that report if you can demonstrate you've written a report that's great for me it doesn't matter i know it's not being a great report but you've written one you've actually taken the time and that's a it's a long time to write a report so yeah yeah totally agree with you tilly about uh yeah a body of work if you if you can yeah and certainly um so my master's uh, was restoration ecology. And as part of that, we went out and did surveys of sites and wrote management plans that were for actual sites that exist. And I took the good examples of those to interviews to demonstrate that, you know, I'd because I, I got a lot of CVs that said, oh, I know how to do, for example, a phase one survey or preliminary ecological appraisal. And when I drilled down into that, what they meant was they'd had one lecture or one field trip on their undergrad course. Now, that doesn't mean you know how to do one. It means that you've got an idea that they exist and have a basic idea of the format of them. So, you know, being able to kind of pull out exactly what experience means is really useful. And, and I found that taking those sort of management plans that I'd written and showing that I'd done you know multiple of them over the course of a year I think I had sort of nine or ten by the end of it uh, just showed people exactly what my level of experience was because that's what I really need to know is what is your level of experience how much training am I putting in here I don't have a problem with putting in the training it's an early career position you know it's, it's expected but I just I need to know you know where I'm ranking you against somebody else who's maybe done more or less of that generic questions specific questions you ask during the interview and I'm obviously it changes depending on the role um, itself but are there any sort of a, you know I say interview tips you could give in, and and and, and not, not trying to give away all that your all your interview questions but are there any specific ones you you do use to quantify or qualify a CV um, for you know something that's put in a CV or are there any specific ecologically related questions you ask a, a candidate so we don't ask specific ecology related, like we don't give you some kind of ecology test, which some places do for entry level jobs, because 
I don't think that's fair. And I don't think that it's necessarily terribly useful. What I will do, though, is ask. So we always open with just can you tell me a bit about yourself? You know, and, and that is just designed to kind of put you at ease, give you, you know, have something prepared that is lets you just talk about yourself for a few minutes. Um, you know, just talk me through, I'll say something like talk me through, you, you know, your experience, talk me through what you've done. Um, you see, you kind of need to know your CV well. Um, I We interviewed somebody who we said, you know, can you talk me through this particular job? And like, it was almost like they'd never worked at that place. It was very bizarre. And so you need to, you know, go through that. If you've put it on your CV, you need to know the years that you worked there. You need to know what you did there, all that kind of stuff. So we always start with that. And then I just try and drill down into aspects of their CV. So I'll say, oh, no, you know, you say on there that under one of your skills, that you've got um, QGIS. Can you just talk me through what your level of experience is with that? You know, would you be able to set up a project from scratch on it? Um, you know, do you know how to do these various technical things? I'm not going to sit you down in front of a computer and make you do that unless it's essential for the job. You know, that I need somebody who can definitely do that straight out the gate with no training. But um, I am going to ask you questions to sort of really work out exactly how much experience you've got in that. And then, you know, likewise, if you've done something you know, quite often we'll find that people have gone either on training courses with people we know. We get quite a lot of people who, uh, you know, might have done some of Richard's training courses or things like that. We ask you to talk a little bit about that. Um, we ask you to talk a bit about how you found that. Um, we always, always ask people about experiences of out of hours antisocial work um, stuff because it's such an integral part of what we do um, and about how they would deal with that or that kind of you know, that kind of thing. Um, quite often, non-ecology experience is useful for that. Let's say you've done work shifts at a festival. That, you know, you can tell me that you've done the, you know, you spent four years doing the like 2 a.m. to 10 a.m. shift <laughs> a festival. And that tells me that you can work out of hours and you know how to do that. You know how to deal with the fact that there's a bit of sleep deprivation involved, um, you know, that kind of thing. So that's, that's generally you know, we're taking things from your CV and we're using that as jumping off points. So you need to have a little bit more that you can talk about around those those issues, basically. And uh, how terrifying are you as a uh, <laughs> as a recruiter during the interview? Um, I'm not trying. We're not we're, we're trying to put people at ease. I'm, you know, like I want to get the best out of you um, and for you to show yourself in the best light. I'm not trying to catch you out. Um, you know, that's absolutely not what we're trying to do in an interview. What we're trying to do is get a really good handle on exactly what your experience level is and how well we think you'll fit in to the company. So, yeah, we, we try and be, you know, quite late you know quite relaxed about it we're a fairly relaxed company anyway you know we're not we're not trying to make it into sort of an interrogative experience what we're trying to do is a two-way conversation so it's for you to decide if we're a good fit for you as much as it is for us to decide that you're a good fit for us and I think it's really important even in early career things to just hold that thought in your head when you go in because it can be really tempting to think I need a job and it's got to be it doesn't matter what job it is Whereas actually, if you can think about actually, would I be a good fit for this role or does it actually sound like my worst nightmare? You know, you're not going to perform well unless you think you're a good fit for the role. And like I say, I'm not trying to be we're not trying to be awful on it, but we will. You know, we'll ask you questions that, you know, we'll drill down into quite a lot of detail. And so you need to come prepared for that. I think um, in terms of, um, you know, you know, it's, I don't know about you, but in terms of when we go into, you know, when we go into interview people, um, you know, we could be nervous too. You know, it's, it's uh, you know, we, we clearly say, you know, you're going to, as a candidate, you're going to be more nervous than we are, but equally so, you know, we want you to exceed, you know, we want you to excel, you know, we want you to do your best at the interview. It's, so we, so absolutely right. There's, there shouldn't be any you know, trip up questions we're not trying to catch you out because he doesn't do you or us any favors I mean I mean why I mean why do we ask you super stupid questions you know when we know it just makes us look stupid really because we're trying to massage our own egos with that you go oh yeah so so yeah the, I think the questions should be relatable and um, you know that you should be able to answer in terms of then um, Tilly the length of an interview so I mean how long are your interviews do you set a particular time or is it quite variable depending on the on the quality of the candidate 
it's anywhere between sort of 45 minutes to just over an hour. We don't tend to go longer than that. Uh, we don't tend to need to go longer than that. Um, and certainly how quick the interview is, is not necessarily a reflection on how well the candidate's done, because some people who interview really well, you can just whiz through it in 40 minutes and think, yep, you know what? I know enough about you. You've come across really well. I'm pretty comfortable with your answers. You know, unless somebody who's an absolute superstar turns up in the next two days, you're probably going to get an offer off the back of that. Um, likewise, if it takes, you know, an hour, I might just be enjoying talking to you. You know, you might, again, be coming across really well and there's just a lot more to talk about. So I don't think you can read anything into the length of the interview. We rarely go over an hour. We rarely go over an hour because I life is short and who has the time for that, basically? You know, if I can't make a decision in that time, then that's a failing of me as an interviewer I think rather than anything else we all stumble over questions um so you know it may be that we maybe concentrate on the previous we may be even thinking of the previous answer we've given and we're not fully hearing the the next question so in terms of but if you if you generally do not know the answer to a question I mean, you should have some sort of answer but uh, what would you advise I mean yeah, yeah what would you advise and I'll put my little uh, pennyworth in here as well after that as well so I think it's entirely reasonable in an interview to say, can I just have a minute to think about that and just, you know, spend that time collecting your thoughts. Um, I would suggest that you need to do that fairly fast. Like if you say, you know, you don't want the silence to become awkward. You can also say, you know, answer it to the best of your ability. And then later on in the conversation, you can say, can we just go back to that question that you asked me earlier about X, Y and Z? Um, I, so I have no problem with people taking notes during interviews. Um, and, and if you do that, it lets you just sort of jot something down and then you can think, God, you know what? I should have really told them about that. The other time to do it is, you know, if they say, have you got any questions at the end? That's a good time that you can say, well, you know, I've got these questions, but also I'd just like to go back to this question and give you a bit more information. I think a good way if you have stumbled over something um, is you can say, you know, is there is there anything that either sort of a question at the end, you could say something like, um, is there anything that's sort of given you cause for concern that you um, about my candidacy so that they've got a chance to then go back to a question where they feel like you didn't necessarily give them the information that they wanted? I also think if they're asking you a technical question and you don't know the answer to it, it's completely reasonable to say, I don't know. But if I ever got a candidate that said, I don't know, what I would actually want to hear is, I don't know, but these are the steps I would take to find out. Um, and if you can do that and demonstrate to me that you've got the thought process around it, you know, people don't know everything. That's fine. I don't expect everyone to know everything. You know, I quite routinely go out to clients on site and they'll ask me something and I'll say, I've got absolutely no idea. I'll go back and find out and I'll get back to you on it. That's fine. It's better to do that than to pretend you've got a level of knowledge that you haven't. And I think people will respect you more for being upfront about it and saying, well, I don't know, but I can go and find out. Um, and this is how I would do it in an interview. Then if you try and you know, blag your way through it and you are either completely off the mark or almost worse, you convince them that you do know about it. Because then you're going to turn up on your first day and life is going to be very stressful for you because you are suddenly going to be discussing things with people that you are way out of your depth with. And then they're going to find out that you have at some point lied, either by omission or by blagging it in an interview. So I would strongly recommend not doing that because that's, that's a really stressful position to be in when your boss thinks you know a lot more than you do and you're going to have to come clean at some point because at that point you've got the job and you're relying on the income. So that's that's how I would handle it. And that's how I would be fine with candidates handling it too. Now, I really like the, the, the yeah, we, uh, I would encourage you to take in a notepad with you or something, something you can write on, even if you just, even if you're pretending to write a little bit, because it gives you time to think about that question. So you could just write down the question, you know, and it, from, from, a, from my point of view, it's like, oh yeah, you're taking note about what I'm asking you. But it will give you that little bit of a extra you know, I'm not saying write down every single question that I ask you, but it may give you a little bit more time to think about your answer within the space of you writing down that question itself or part of that question. And also to take note a bit, you know, as you go through too. Just reinforcing what Tilly said, you know, if you don't know the answer, say you don't, but maybe qualify it, you know, back it up a bit um, with um, sort of, um, yeah, how you'd find out there and how you go about it and finding the answer. So yeah, brilliant. I'm glad I'm glad we're on the same wavelength. That's <laughs> it's lucky, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's good as you go, actually, you know, that's completely wrong. I did it completely different <laughs> to you, yeah. 
the vast majority are, uh, ask the similar questions and also the similar processes. But uh, there's one or two consultancies which may have a completely different approach to. Yeah, and I and I think also that kind of thing tells you a lot about the employer. So you know, take note of that because they, if they come in and they've got a very aggressive questioning style, or you know, they're telling you things about how they run the company, believe them. Um, and believe them that that's what it's going to be like, because I think, you know, it's a really good way to feel about, you know, what it's what it's like um, to work there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, hopefully you've done a bit of homework before you get to that interview stage. And uh, so you should be, uh, you know, open, a bit of open minded about, uh, well, well, going to it, knowing what the sort of company is going to be like. Um, but yeah, do use that opportunity. It is a two way opportunity to find out whether, you know, you're going to be a fit for our company, but equally so if you, you know, you want to work for that company too. And okay. Uh, in terms of, um, just wrap these things up now in terms of just rounding off the interview process itself. Yeah. How long does it take to decide, um, on the, the right candidate? I mean, is it the same day or do you give yourself, um, you know, a month? No, same day for us. Same day. We go out um, after we've finished all the interviews. We uh, generally go out for a nice lunch somewhere and have a chat about the candidates. And then my business partner and I wrangle over who we think is the best candidate for it. But to be honest, it's usually pretty obvious from the interviews who it's going to be. And, and, you know, there is also the fact that people will get offered other jobs. Good candidates will get offered jobs in other places so we had to go down our list um with the job we recently offered i still think we've got an excellent candidate in the role um but i think that just goes to show that not getting a job does not mean you're not an excellent candidate um there's just a lot of people out there uh you know applying for these things but we decide fast um we make the offer as fast as we can because again good candidates will have options and we try we make offers uh so we rejections always go by email because nobody needs to be told that they're not wanted for a job over the phone that's just horrendous um but offers go out by over the phone um so we phone people and say uh you know we'd like to offer you the job I would strongly recommend saying, thank you, I'm really interested. Um, can I just have 24 hours to think about it? I think that's fine to do that. I think it's completely reasonable to do that. It's better to do that than to what we had a couple of times as people accept and then change their mind because they had other interviews lined up and suddenly went away and thought about it and thought, actually, you know, they were applying to a slightly a broader range of things. So, you know, maybe ecology, sustainability, and they suddenly thought, actually, is this really what I want to do? Actually, I'm not ready to pull out of those other interviews. It was fine. They handled it very professionally. It's not a problem. It's just business. Um, but, you know, it's not it's not a problem to say to people, I'd like 24 hours to think about it. Alternatively, if you know you're going to take the job, whatever, then great. Just, you know, you can say verbally say yes there and then. That's the point at which you can do any salary negotiation that you want to do. I would suggest that's, you know, that offer in hand is the point to have those conversations. You can then talk about you know, start dates, things like that. We send out um, like a load of new starter information and we send out to everyone a copy of their contract with the terms and conditions in it and a copy of the employee handbook that we have so that people know what they're signing up for as well so that yeah but we're, we're fast I don't know about you but we just make the decision as soon as we can sometimes it is on the same day especially when it's as you say blatantly obvious that um, who, who who is the standout candidate it is um, we've just recently employed someone and um, it was really a fine call between two people you know either mm. of them could have got the job either of them could have got the job and um I I I will be t totally honest with you. The reason I may mean, say both of them could have got the job. The the main reason why the one person got the job over the other, it was solely due to the fact they were closer to the area where we worked. Yeah, you know, because it made our life. You know, so especially if you, as you say, Tilly, if you got someone who hasn't got a driving license uh, who needs to be picked up, it makes our life a lot easier to go short distances rather than going do you know what you know we're based in Kefili I'll go and pick up in Bristol and bring you back again you know, that's clearly not going to happen and, and so just based upon the location and it was that tight with the, these two candidates you know they could both have equally have done it and 
and yeah. um, you know we're working with the other one uh, as a you know as a you know to give them experience again for for the season but um and and yeah and feedback yeah do you so do you give feedback to any um the candidate who was yeah so we do and the other thing to note as well is if you don't hear back from a job straight away it means that you are still under consideration because we did not send out rejections to people unless there was an obvious we're not going to work with you um, until we had got back an acceptance from somebody else. Because, again, there were several occasions where we could have employed any of them. And so it was very fine detail that made us choose between people. So they got their offer. And until we had a signed contract back, we didn't reject the others, because otherwise then you have the slightly awkward situation that we had um, where we had to go back to people that we'd rejected and say, actually, do you want to come in for interview? <laughs> Which was not ideal. Um, so, yeah, we... We, we do wait um so you are still under consideration but i would also encourage you to <clears throat> apply and then put it out of your mind you cannot control the vagaries of the uh, hiring process and how long it takes what people are doing you know it takes as long as it takes just Im- imagine that job has disappeared at the point that you apply um i think that's that's sort of an important thing to think about <laughs> I will say you don't get feedback from a lot of places because there is a propensity for candidates to email you back and tell you why you are wrong. (laughs) And there is nobody who either wants to hear that or has got time to deal with that. Um, If you ever do that, I'm sure none of you would do that kind of thing. But if you ever do that, don't bother applying to that place again. They are never going to hire you. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know why people do that. (laughs) But they do. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not going to give you a job <laughs> if you if you really tell me I'm an idiot. Yeah, yeah, and, and not only am I not going to give you a job, yeah. I'm also going to tell other people who I know are hiring that you are out there applying to stuff, and you know, and I'm going to say they did this to me. I would just be really careful when you interview them or whatever, mm. because we all talk to each other. <laughs> anything else at all, Tilly? The recruitment process. If, if, if I've missed anything, sorry. No, I don't think so. I think that that covers it. And, you know, if people have got any questions, then I'm happy to answer those. A big thank you to Tilly Tilbrook, Director at Integrated Ecological Solutions, for her absolutely amazing uh, insight into the world of recruitment for ecological consultants. And I just want to reiterate some of the points that Tilly made during the recording that we did for Nottingham Trent University students. And uh, that is straight away from the job advert. It's a wish list. It's put down employers tend to put down all the things they require and most of the time yes it's about the essential parts of that but treat it as a wish list you know that's um, there's some things that you will have on there some things you may not but actually don't be intimidated by not putting in your application because you may not meet all the criteria on that job advert itself moving on to the cover letter itself make sure you email in your cover letter and that's what it is it's probably an email don't need to create another document a word document pdf that and send it across double handling there so within the body of the email itself for instance you want to put down there a bit about yourself why you are the ideal candidate and also yeah a little bit of ego massaging for both the company and also towards the recruiter themselves perhaps obviously tailoring it when i say ego massaging it is about that that just um, connecting that making that connection between the recruiter and yourself moving on to the cv quantifying experience don't forget to put in those number of hours of bat surveys you've done don't just under say you've undertaken some bat surveys through one survey season quantify that how many hours um, what species did you find um, if it's uh, NVC what level of NVC um, or a botanical experience do you have using that FISC level if you can moving on to the interview itself be prepared bring in a body of work that you've completed. So if you have done one survey season's worth of work, demonstrate that to us within a logbook, for instance, or maybe bring in a portfolio of your work. Finally, moving on to the skills. So if you are short of those skills themselves, then perhaps going out and being self-reliant upon going, undertaking some um, self-learning yourself, joining up with a colleague, maybe undertaking some courses. There's a lot of things you can do out there for free and we'll put those into the show notes themselves to help you along. Now, um, as Tilly mentioned, anything that we may have missed, any clarifications you require, get in touch with Tilly 
on LinkedIn. Uh, equally so, get in touch with myself at the Ecology Academy. So our email address is hello at ecologyacademy.co.uk. And if you have any comments at all, please do leave those in the chat boxes below or post those to us and we'll put those onto the website itself. Um, but for now, thank you for joining us and look forward to seeing you soon. If you enjoy our show and want to help, then please click on the subscribe button and rate us on your favourite podcast player. As that's how you can inspire ecologists in the making, help retain great talent and provide insights of our industry to a much wider audience of why ecology really does matter. Thank you. And remember, learning is a lifelong endeavour. So stay curious, be adventurous and build bridges for others to cross.